0: on this Presence Day weekend. Truly great to have you here. It's Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much for watching. listening us for the Lakers fast break. Go ahead and catch my other shows inside sports, fantasy football, the Pop Culture Cosmos, where we cover the latest news and trends in pop culture each and every week, twice a week, wherever we you get your podcast. Of course, Joe Sorrell. Go ahead and catch him on Lakers Nightcap Morning. Joe with him. A couple of Morning Joe to be exact. Guy is from ox 1947 at LakersBall.com and his company, Simblate. Simblate with the Y.com. Of course, our good friends, Empire Jeff TV, Lakers and Five, John McKaylingon, John Costas channels, Lakers, Lakers Corner, and Clutch Talk, and also Daniel Berry Sports Highlights. Go ahead and support those channels and support ours too by a like and subscribe to get the latest notifications on when we go live on the air with the latest Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Well, it's part one so far. We'll be recording part two later today on what's going on on the other side of the hemisphere for the NBA landscape for the rest of the season, the Eastern Conference. We've had many, many awesome guests covering the world of the NBA and our team previews before the season. But what happens, you know, right now? In that lull before we get back from the All-Star break, well, we thought we'd go ahead and cover what's going on on the other side of the world when it comes to the Eastern Conference, and nobody is better out there than the two guests I will have. The first one is a great guest that's been here on more than one occasion. Always great to have him back, especially when it concerns the Orlando Magic, a team on the rise in the Eastern Conference. It is Alfred Esmond. Alfred, great to have you here. The guy from Fansided that he is, Alfred Cannot thank you enough for your patience this weekend, this Presidents' Day weekend. Yeah, knowing that my family decided to go ahead and you know just try to elongate things and uh, delay our our conversation, but I'm finally glad to be able to sit down and talk some basketball with you today, my friend.
1: Yeah, Gerald, thank you for having me back. Always good to be on here, ready to talk some hoops. Uh, I caught a little bit of that All Star game last night. A ton of defense being played per usual in that oh, game.
0: Yeah. Lockdown. <laughs>
1: Locked down every possession, but uh, no, it was fun. Uh, I'm sure each of these teams, whether they're in the East or West are getting a good break out of this, you know, little time period we have, and it should be a good second half of the season.
0: Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to go on, not only with the Western Conference, but how that Eastern Conference is shaping up because when it comes right down to it, Alfred, how should I say this carefully? you know, most people are just, you know, like, like here in Vegas, most people are just putting the finger right on the Celtics and saying, you know what, they've got an easy trip to the Eastern conference finals and then beyond as far as representing the Eastern conference in the NBA finals. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. It's always going to be that cut and dry, that easy. An entry could take things, uh, you know, completely out of control. But for now, Boston has looked like they're the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Your thoughts on them and if they can be beaten. And then we'll go into exactly who might be the teams that could stand out in the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when I look at Boston, just from comparing them to the rest of the Eastern Conference, they're obviously the standalone standout team. I think if you watch the NBA, you realize that they are, if I had to be forced to pick an nba champion as of right now who i think it would be uh, my answer is them i think they're the most put together team in the league i just did some uh number crunching on them last night They're first in offensive efficiency third in defensive efficiency they're the second best team in the nba in rebounding they have a top 10 team assist to turnover ratio which i i like that stat find it very important and since we're you know It's a Lakers channel. They have the second fewest personal fouls per game, only behind the Los Angeles Lakers, who give up the fewest personal fouls per game. So this team is well-disciplined. They don't turn the ball over as much compared to how many times they pass it to their teammates, setting them up for scoring. Uh, They're the best offensive team in basketball. Efficiency-wise, they're a top-five defensive team. That's that's hard for anyone to beat as of right now. And really, the catalyst of that has been the combination of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the playmaking they can provide off the wing. Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a tough team. And I think another sneaky part to this, you know, dominance we've seen from them has been Derek White. I remember we talked about him heading into this all-star break as a decent candidate, even though he didn't get the call. Uh, he was a very decent candidate for one. And he's been, I mean, he's been the guy to step up in need for Tatum or Brown when they're not scoring, or even just along with them, providing them some, pr- or pr- excuse me, providing those two some production as well. The uh, other player on that team I'm impressed with a lot uh, who tends to be, I think made fun of sometimes, but this year he's kind of, you know, proven everyone wrong a little bit is Christops Uh Chris Dops has been very good in a role spot with Boston. Again, his scoring at all levels of the floor has been on display a little bit for them. Uh, I, I think what they've done is they've put a good team together. As a whole, and they are the team to beat not only in the East, but in the NBA, I think going forward.
0: Wow, that's a statement right there. Once again, it is Alfred Edsman from Fansided. Please go ahead and check out his great work today at fansided.com. Alfred, uh, so with that being said, okay, that's before we get into teams. If, you know, uh, as, as Lakers, you know, we obviously don't want them to win number 18, don't want them even come close. If there's a key place where they can be susceptible or there's a key injury to a player that would derail the team in any way let's just put it that way what would you be pointing towards to as far as a factor in that happening
1: well I think you know one the one team that I look at in the east that kind of has I think an ability to put up a fight with them they don't have him playing right now, but that's the Sixers and Embiid. I think Joel, Joel Embiid, again, history you know, is telling what I'm about to say, no. But from what I can see is, let's say if the Celtics go into a series with Philly and they don't have Al Horford down there, an experienced big man who can you know make Embiid work for it a lot, I, that, that that's a little bit of trouble for Boston because I don't know if they have that big matchup on defense to stop Joel Embiid from doing what he wants. And you know, you're going to obviously have Tyrese Maxey have his explosive scoring games that he's been doing all year and I think that's so that's the one weakness I could point out is down low on defense if they have some injuries there some of these big centers in the league. Not even let's say Boston gets to the finals and they play Denver again who's, you know, on the hunt for another ring. You know, Jokic is going to become a big question mark for how they're going to stop him too. So I think that's That's one weakness that sticks out to me. But again, with this, how this team has been playing, the teams that they've lost to in the East as well, have kind of, they've played at their pace almost a little bit. Two of their losses in the East have been to the Pacers this year. Now, I don't think Indiana is going to come out and beat them in seven games. I just don't think they're, you know, have the longevity to do that against a team like Boston. But it's the teams, these games that Indiana beat Boston in. The scores, you know, are like 130 something to 130 something, 120 something, 120 something. They're high scoring, fast games. And that's you know the product of Tyrese Halliburton and that squad that can score the basketball a lot. So those are the two things really that stand out with me. It's one, if something were to happen to their center depth, I think running into trouble with the big, big time, big players in the league like Embiid and even Giannis, I didn't mention him, uh Out East. And then also if some of these teams you know, play to their pace and play a little fast with them, they can find themselves on the winning end of a game against Boston like Indiana has all season.
0: Once again, it is Alfred Esmond. Please go ahead and check out his great work today covering the Orlando Magic for fansided.com. I want to ask you this your Orlando Magic, but we'll get into the other teams and specifically hone in on some of the contenders in the East to what we see with the Boston Celtics. But I want to start with the Orlando Magic, a team that started out really hot, uh, still as of this point has a record above 500. Now mind you, they are uh, maybe they've they've come back to the pack a bit. They're eighth they're in eighth place, 13 games out in the Eastern Conference. But to you, do you see a team that this this team has size, length, athletic ability, good playmaking? But they're still missing some ingredients, I think, in order for them to really compete at a higher level. But your thoughts on how the Orlando Magic have really, really shaped up this year. Uh, surprising a lot of people out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a team that, again, before this season, they're considered a lottery team every year, just a shoe-in for it. And they've kind of flipped the script this year. And I think a lot of that is due to the young talent they've been cu- cu- or, yeah, culminating. Over the course of time, it's all started to gel together and play as a whole unit. And you've gotten scoring out of your big wings, which is how uh, Jeff Weltman's built this team up, is big players on the wings with Paulo and Franz. Uh, it's been built up with that, and it's led to some wins because I think once those two get into a groove, they're a hard pair to stop. It, the key that I found is if you get Paolo to have his 30-point games, which he's been having a good bit, and you get Franz to have twenty during that same game with them. The Orlando Magic usually win that game they're playing if those two score like that. Uh, I think the the one keys going forward, just because I think at this point this team, you know, they look like a playing team at the very least. I'd say for the Eastern Conference, uh, the one thing with them going forward if they want to be more competitive, offensively, Orlando's not a standout basketball team compared to these other ones. It's like what we were just talking about with Indiana and Boston, how they play at a fast pace with high-scoring games. That's not – Orlando doesn't win that way. Orlando wins with their defense and playing the ball a lot slower. And their you know points per game is down. I think they're ranked right around 24th or 25th in the NBA in team points per game. So obviously, you know, that that's a team that's going to sit down and force you to kind of beat them at their own slow pace of basketball. Uh, my one problem with that, again, is – Once you run into a team like Boston or even, let's say, it's some weird scenario, Orlando could play Indiana in the playoffs. You know, Indiana and Boston plays at a pace that if Orlando falls behind, they have a hard time catching up. And that's because of the kind of cold streaks, you know, we've seen them go on with three-point shooting and shooting in general. So I will say it's been a good year as far as, you know, getting the Magic over the hump into at least a play-in spot. But at the same time, there's a lot of work to do before they can become competitive with these top teams in the East.
0: I talked with you last time we delved into the Orlando Magic on Jalen Suggs primarily. I know Mm -hmm. you guys got an array of talented big men, whether it's uh, Eve Banquero who's been playing at an all-star level, Uh, you know, of course, Wagner, the younger Wagner. Uh, I should say, uh, who's playing at a tremendous level as far as playmaking-wise. But I really think, like you said, when it comes down to it, the perimeter game, I think, is the key for you guys going forward and developing it. I absolutely love Suggs. His competitiveness, his drive, his defensive ability. But his shooting will always be the key to his success going forward there are times where you see him break out and you say, my God, that's it. And then he'll revert back to his regular shooting ways. Your thoughts on Jalen Suggs and if you will ever develop into that guy in the backcourt for you.
1: Yeah, he, he certainly, you know, is kind of the, the missing link. It seems at times to how this team is set up because I remember it's just so funny. I remember that one draft, 2021, the Magic picked Suggs fifth overall. And then Franz Wagner went eighth. Pretty sure it was eighth. Yeah. Uh, almost certain it was, yeah, eighth overall. And everyone hated that Franz Wagner pick. And we've seen what he becomes, but everyone loved the Jalen Suggs pick. And for the first two years of his career, I mean, the shooting at times was flat out putrid. But this season, I'm just looking right now. If you look at his split, he's shooting at a 44 and a half. 38-76 split uh, across all shooting numbers. All those are improvements over a season ago. They are. Um, and, you know, there was times I, I've seen it. T- I saw it earlier in the season, too. This is when the Magic were playing better. But Suggs's three-point percentage was well above 40% from three. So, I mean, you know, he's he's improving on the shooting. He's become a defensive nightmare. You know, if you're the guard playing against Shalen Suggs that night, you're going to have a rough night. Everyone knows that too. At this point, he's, you know, he's definitely making his mark. He, he is hands down. I mean, a starter on this team as well. I don't think that there's any question into that. I think the, the problem the team runs into and fans run into with Suggs is he doesn't really seem like the point type to take the ball up the floor and set up an offense. He can, you know, pick and pop and drive to the rim off of a pass and play good defense. But he just doesn't have the point guard feel as someone like a Markel Fultz, which that's another story in and of itself there, or an Anthony Black, or even a Cole Anthony can provide at the point guard position. But I've been I've been really impressed with uh, Jalen. He's His shooting's been nice this year. He's become an all-around great defensive player. Uh And again, he's, he's a respectable part of this team. And if they're going to do anything big going forward he's going to have to do a lot of good things to help them succeed
0: once again it is alfred esmond please go ahead and check out his work covering the orlando magic and the eastern conference for fansided.com i know that uh, in the state of florida they have another team that uh is right tied with the orlando magic and that's the miami heat i know sharky is is in the audience right now to asking about them and talking about them, but also about the Knicks, the 76ers, and other teams, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But Miami, uh, you know, <laughs> regular season woes, ups and downs. <laughs> then all of a sudden they get healthy right around the time of the playoffs and watch out from there. Jimmy, playoff butler, he he shows up in the playoffs. He seems to show up when it matters the most and I give him credit for that. But 30 and 25, do you see the magic happening again, pardon the pun? Do you see the the je ne sais quoi for the Miami Heat happen again where they came from literally nowhere, almost losing in the play-in twice to just go ahead and dis- dismantle the Milwaukee Bucks on their way to a finals run? I don't know if I see it go that far this time around, but do you think they can make uh, some noise in the Eastern Conference, seeing how the landscape is open for a number two team in the Eastern Conference?
1: You know, I was just about to say, I'm kind of on board with you, Gerald, as far as, you know, I don't see them going as far as they did last year where it was the finals against the Nuggets. I just think there's just better teams in the East this year than them, you Mm -hmm. know, to go do that. I do see them being a problem again, though. I'm going to be honest. I do see them being a problem again. A big guy I want to shout out. I mean, he was in, he did a lot of good things in the All Star game last night. Bam out of bio is a nightmare matchup if you let him become one. Uh, 20 points a game, 10 rebounds a game. It's a very, very scary threat when you have a guy who's almost leading your team, scoring the ball, along with, you know, clearly flat out leading your team, rebounding the ball and being probably one of the better rebounders in the league as a whole. Uh, he, he's a key. He's a guy where if I look at him and go, Oh, can he stop, you know, an Embiid or a Giannis or let's use, I'll throw the Celtics Al Horford in there, for example, he can go out there and do that. So that forces those bigger teams that are higher up in the East to find other options for scoring the ball at a good high rate. Um, And then, you know, of course, I mean, we've said it and we've seen it so many times now with them. Jimmy Butler just seems to turn it up a notch come playoff time. And there's (laughs) there's really no explanation you can look at on paper for it because they're so they've had their ups and downs this year, you know, a good, good bit. I mean, I'm looking at them and they've gotten hot at sometimes, you know. They've let off at sometimes I just saw between January 17th and. About the end of the month, they had right around a seven game losing streak, went back to winning two, losing again, winning two, losing again. So it's just it's so on and off with them during the uh, the regular season. It just seems like if you let them make it, you know, into the playoffs at any point, they're going to try to do something. So, again, I don't I don't see them necessarily going to the finals Uh, again. I think there's better teams out there in the East, you know, example, the Celtics, the Sixers, you know, to go and do that. But I do see them being a problem. And if you have to play them to get to the Eastern Conference final or even to the second round, I think you're going to have a hard time. And I think that series is going to go be well beyond a sweep of four games.
0: One team before we get back into contenders in the East that won't be a problem for anybody out there in the Eastern Conference is the Brooklyn Nets uh, reeling looking at really dismal this season, 21 and 33 overall. They just fired their head coach, Jacques Vaughn earlier this morning as we were recording this. Uh, a, a coach that was actually well thought of in the league, it shows you that there is no resting. There is no comfortability for a, a head coach. If you know you go on any type of rebuilding mode, you can be removed at any point in time. Your thoughts on the firing of Jacques Vaughn as head coach of the Brooklyn Nets?
1: Well, I think if you if you watch the NBA in any facet, uh, this needed to happen with them. I mean, I, I don't think there was other any other explanation than that. The part that really stinks for Brooklyn is uh, they they don't have any draft picks. I mean, they they have a few of the Suns like later picks or something like that, but they they will not, you know, really not sniff the lottery unless phoenix completely tumbles you know into oblivion so that that's the part that really is just not great for them they they also they struggle with shooting the ball oh my lord i i had them on i don't know what game it was i think it was they were playing cleveland i think back earlier this month uh they lost by a lot and they I, cleveland at one point it was like a 21 to 5 run on this team and Brooklyn just could not stop them and not score the ball. It was, it it was just not good basketball. They don't really, I think they've tried to use McHale as the main guy, as, you know, for all of their production, and it just really hasn't worked out like it, like it would have. Um, and it's just they have they have small things that are good, like Cam Thomas. I think Cam Do- Thomas has the potential to be a great guard along with other people around him, like a McHale. But again, I, I think it's asking way too much of Cam Thomas or Mikhail for that matter to be like, you're going to have to, you know, carry the number one load on this team if they want to be good. And then uh, Ben Simmons, I'll shout out him, too. He's had, you know, some some decent uh, games as he's come back and whatnot. But that's, you know, a whole nother scenario as well. I think there's going to be a lot of off season movement for this Brooklyn team because they've, you know, they've tried moves at the deadline with getting Dennis Schroeder. Uh, a move I liked. I'm a big Dennis Schroeder fan. I think he's very good on, very underrated on defense, uh, very good at facilitating and he could get And in theory, it was a good idea to get him to get the ball to McHale or cam. But, you know, I I just think there's just going to be a lot of evaluating with this team in the off season. Uh, I think a rebuild is pretty imminent with them, especially with the firing of Vaughn earlier. Um, and it's just, it's just been disappointing. Uh, it's pretty, I think it's makes a case for the most disappointing season in the NBA so far as from what we've seen.
0: Once again, Alfred, just great to have you here. It is Alfred Esmond from fansided.com. I want to ask you now, getting back into the contenders because uh, that breaking news happened earlier this morning in regards to shock bond, but getting back into the contenders. For the Eastern Conference, uh, you talked about the Indiana Pacers and their high-octane offense really looking like it's only going to take them so far. You've seen really high on the 76ers. Now, on the surface, the 76ers season started out with a bang, has not really uh, maintained that kind of level. Now, obviously, having Joel and Meade hurt for – Who knows how long, uh, obviously has played well into that. Tyrese Maxey has absolutely played outstanding in a breakout year for him. You really think that if healthy, if Joel Embiid is healthy by the end of the season, that they could make some real noise and provide maybe some stiff competition against the Boston Celtics?
1: Yeah, I do. I I really do. I think uh, obviously having Joel Embiid out there, you have arguably the best player in the league out there on the floor on your team. But even beyond that, have the Sixers, so the Sixers have lost five of their last seven heading into the all-star break. I will say though, the one thing that stands out to me whenever he scores, like he does, it it puts like this glimmer of hope for, in to this team for me, it's when Tyrese Maxey, as those big explosive scoring games, because to me, it seems like that's what Joel Embiid's been missing really has been a guard that can help support him and take the load off of him. Like Tyrese Maxey can, uh, Tyrese Maxey scored 50 this year. That was against what team was that Utah? He, you know, has scored 30, 28 to lead the team. And I mean, the, the guy's an all-star and he's, he's, you know, scoring at a high level with 26 a game. He's, passing the ball a good vic six assists a game and he's shooting pretty well, forty five percent from the field. I mean, if they can get that kind of work out of that guard and center combo, it makes for a good recipe. I do think, you know, Boston would give Embiid a good thrashing, so to speak, as far as how they play him and whatnot. But I think it's a, you know, one of those get your popcorn ready kind of series if we get that seventy six or Celtics matchup. And I think Joel Embiid, he's hungry. You know, he knows What's at stake for the Sixers team? It's been talked about for a long time. How their title window just gets tinier and tinier by the minute. You know, it seems at this point because of Embiid and how patient he is there and whatnot. Uh, I understand. You know, they have that second round barrier that they can't break through and get further with. But this this year, it it might seem like the year for it with how Maxi's playing the support they're getting, the Buddy healed a trade deadline move that they made was very good. He is shooting the ball, lights out for them. They have the shooting on the outside. They have arguably the best center in the league. If anything, that tells me, okay, this is a team that can provide a challenge for the standard in the East right now, which is Boston.
0: Well, we'll see, obviously, what happens. But if Philadelphia you know, can find any health for Joel Embiid, uh, that will be a key for them if they can compete. But uh, at least they are have probably one of the, how should I should say, most advantageous off seasons. Uh, the way they have set themselves up financially, a lot of cap space, uh, some picks, uh, some options for them moving forward. I know that the Lakers, uh, you know, that's something that they were talking about, you know, that we have the three picks, uh, you know, going into the offseason. That's what we're targeting for, for a, you know, a bigger player or a player that can make a bigger impact on the team. Well, there's going to be a lot of teams out there that have extra added assets, and I know Philadelphia, with its cap space, will also be one of them as well. So definitely uh, interested to see what happens in Philly if Joel Embiid can find health. And be able to help Philadelphia compete now in the Eastern Conference, but uh, you know we're forgetting about a team that I think that that has also had a lot of injuries. But all those players, I believe, for the New York Knicks, can and will come back in enough time to gel as a unit. And with the acquisition of OG Ananobi seemingly being a good fit for them, the New York Knicks. I would say do not write them off as a candidate that can go to the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: That's very well put, actually. I'll go with that, too. They are, you know, a team that if you're telling me right now they could go to the Eastern Conference Finals, I'd say, yeah, they, they absolutely can with the way they play at times. Um, I think that we all know the centerpiece to this at this point is i jalen brunson in my opinion i mean that guy has been unbelievable this year new york has long been without a point guard or really any guard that can do what he does uh since i've been alive it seems like they really haven't had a guy like that so shout out to new york for that uh going out looking at jalen i mean he's right around i believe it's 27 points a game let me see to make sure. Yes. 27 points a game, six and a half assists. He's facilitating. He's scoring. They, New York looks good. They, they did have four straight losses heading into the all-star break, but the injuries they all had, you mentioned it too, Gerald, all the injuries they've had, the injuries they had during those four games, uh, no Hartenstein, no OG, no Mitchell Robinson and no Julius Randall. That's a lot of big bodies you don't have out there on that floor. So I, I think, you know, that, Obviously, if New York is in that kind of scenario come playoff time, I don't really see them doing a whole lot. But if they have Julius Randall, Hartenstein, and the rest of those bigger defensive guys in there, they, they can be a problem uh, for a lot of teams. They had a nine-game win streak, I remember, back during January and a little bit into February. They scored a lot, too. They were over 105 points in each of those wins. Um And I mean, again, the the shooting and the stimulation of all offensive firepower has come from Jalen Brunson. Uh, We talked about his shooting and how he can shoot forty eight percent from the field, above forty from three, and you know, and again, the facilitating I mentioned, he's had five assists or more in each of his last was it ten games, Uh, fifteen of his last twenty games, heading into the All Star break, he's had five or more assists. That's so that that's you're passing the ball pretty well to your teammates if you're doing that. So I think this New York team, again, are they ready for the finals for a championship right now? No, I don't, I don't think yet, but they are definitely heading in the right direction of doing so. And they're going to be a pretty big threat to go to the Eastern conference finals this season.
0: I always forget to ask our our resident Dallas Mavericks fan, Frank, if, if how (laughs) the layer of regret they have in letting brunson walk yeah i understand that there might have been a setup deal for the Knicks in place as far as because you know his dad and what they had set up as far as the relationship with world wide west and all that but dallas had every opportunity to make a stronger bid for Jalen brunson but they helped the new york knicks by lowballing him and letting him walk out that door. And I'm just wondering as the, the Dallas fans out there, especially Frank, who comes on, on the chat every now and then, if that truly is a layer of regret right now. Yes, you do have Kyrie Irving, but to think you could have had Brunson and you could have filled out the roster in so many other different ways had you kept Brunson instead of uh going out and doing what you did then. So. Yeah, just your thoughts real quickly on that, because again, I think there is probably still within the, the Dallas Mavericks fan base a layer of regret for letting Brunson walk.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think in the least bit, it's a hard pill to swallow, mm-hmm. you know, it just ever so slightly. You might be able to swallow the pill, but it might, you know, hurt a little on the way down, whatever you call it. Um, I'm sure Dallas isn't sweating it. I mean, Dallas obviously had, is in contention to do big things in the playoffs if they really put their mind to it, I'm not going to sit here and doubt, uh, Luka Doncic and what he can do, you know, when he's out on the court, but you know, that would have been, that would be a scary thought having Luca out there with, uh, Jalen Brunson and what he can do out there on the floor. Uh, Kyrie Irving, I, I just looked his, you know, splits up and whatnot just to see what he's been doing this year. I mean, it's not like, Jalen Brunson's doing a little bit better, but in all honesty, it's not anything significantly better. Uh, Kyrie Irving is a 49% shooter from the field and above 40 from three, just like Brunson. He's averaging only a point per game less than Brunson is. uh, And I think one assist less than Brunson is. So it's just one less on pretty much the major guard categories and what, you know, he needs to do and stuff. But yeah, Yeah, It's definitely, you know, it would be a whole different look, I think, too, with Kyrie and Brunson. I I just think it's it would be a different feel and whatnot. But it's certainly something to think about, because if, you know, these this team, Dallas had both Brunson and Luca back the West, I think, would look a little bit different. I think this would be a team that we would be saying, you know, maybe they can play with uh, the West. I guess the Clippers right now are one of the top teams in the West, I think of. And know this dallas team would be able to face up with them but who knows i mean in the end they're i think they're doing fine with kyrie i think new york is absolutely doing fine with jalen brunson so both teams they did they're doing good with the guards they have
0: fair enough fair enough again but i just i still just can't well you know just help but wonder what would happen if they had made every effort to keep Jalen brunson and maybe being able to build those spots around the team they'd be in a little bit better place but ah, need i digress on that uh, i do will say though that a team that should not be overlooked by the time i think the season is is ready to begin the playoffs is the milwaukee bucks who are struggling right now uh, obviously they fired their coach they brought in doc rivers that hasn't really worked great the defense is a little bit better which is the much big area of improvement that need to be done but they're just lying there my friend they're struggling they can't get wins i'm just saying right now if they get that team fully healthy fully right and they do figure out a defensive game plan that's halfway decent i think people should not underestimate having Giannis and Damian Lillard on the same team if they could ever figure out a game plan for those two to just in a seven game series work things out i really think that the Milwaukee Bucks still can be the biggest contender in the eastern conference to the Celtics
1: yeah uh and hopefully you know we get a little bit more of that as the second half of the season begins because Gerald, I'll I'll just be I'll be pretty frank with you on the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't I don't know how much faith I have in them right now to go into a seven game series, even with you know a team like Indiana who has been known to play Milwaukee very well. It, that it makes me scared. It makes me scared with uh, Doc Rivers and the inconsistent you know wins and losses they've been putting up. I just I don't see it right now. The, granted, the defense has been better. And th- this this conversation is definitely going to be just a lot different, even a month of a month from now in late March as the season's coming to a close, on what this team looks like. I do think I do think though, you know, when you talk about a one-two punch, I don't know how much but better you can get than Dame Lillard and uh, Giannis. I mean, those two. You got a guy who could slash to the rim, you know, finish strong and pretty much finish over the top of everyone he plays. And then Damian Lillard is still, you know, striping it up from three-point range. Uh, I I think, you know, we just have to wait and see on them. I do think it's a a little bit more of a conversation that needs to be had later in the season. I, I still find it weird overall. I hate to keep harping on it that they would fire Griffin with the record they have and bring in a guy like Doc Rivers to fix the defense up yet, you know, we all know Doc Rivers' playoff history is not right, is not that great. And better not
0: get a team up uh, better not get his team up three to one in the playoff series.
1: That's yeah, I was about to say, I mean, you know, if Milwaukee does what I think they're gonna do and bring in bringing Doc Rivers, you know, they better at least get to the finals again because yeah. they they need to make this look good. And I think there's potential to do so. I definitely think there is. Um Again, we just got to. I think we just kind of got to wait on it and see a gel a little I more. I think they're the, the biggest wild
0: card. I think they're the biggest wild card of any team in the Eastern Conference because they could literally do the flame out act like they did last year, Alfred. Mm-hmm. But if Giannis and Lillard average over 30 together in a playoff series, watch out.
1: I'll right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so, too. And I just saw, by the way, uh, this is actually, honestly, if I go back to Lillard and look at him, it hasn't been like it, the year has been good for him, but it ha- he's obviously he's, he was an all-star. It's obviously been a good year for him. But when I look at it compared to his other years, it's not, you know, hasn't been as great yet as I would like, honestly, you know, you look at the shooting, uh, 42% from the field and 35% from three, that's good for Damian Lillard, but at the same time, I've almost certain we could go back and look at some years in Portland and see better years Damian Lillard's had. So maybe that gets fixed too. And if that, you know, helps their Milwaukee's offense combined with Doc Rivers and his defensive mindset, maybe that turns this team around into something, you know, that can compete with, I guess, both Boston and Philly. I'll throw them in the, in the group with them up there. So we'll just have to wait and see. But again, this conversation is going to be totally different come, late March, early April, when the playoffs begin.
0: Once again, it's Alfred Esmond. Please go ahead and support him today on his work with the Orlando Magic on fansided.com. Alfred, I know that we've uh, kind of not talked about a certain team that sits at second place that has done an amazing job in the past couple months. Mm-hmm. Actually, the team after the turn of the calendar year that's probably played at the highest level of any NBA team Uh, It's a team I'll be going into uh, great detail hopefully later today with Mike Angolano in the second part of my Eastern Conference uh, look as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned. That is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, even when they didn't have two of their key starters out, I mean, when they had them out, they still played well in January and in February. They've won nine out of the last 10 games, really looking good, but people are still doubting them. People are still strongly giving them uh, no chance in the playoffs to compete against the Boston Celtics. Your thoughts, your perceptions on the Cleveland Cavs and what they can do come post
1: well, I'll say this, you know, obviously there's concerns uh, with Cleveland. You talked about, you know, a crash and burn thing with Milwaukee. We kind of saw that a little with Cleveland against the Knicks. They had a little, you know, crash and burn episode in the playoffs last year as well with them. But I'm, I'm going to give them credit where credit's due, uh, Cleveland right now. They, they've played exceptional uh, heading into the All-Star break. They have one loss, or they have they have two losses since January 3rd. Two. two two losses i mean that that's that's something exceptional and again i think the the centerpiece for it obviously for this team is donovan mitchell as a whole uh 28 points a game he's had an unbelievable year scoring six assists a game almost two steals a game um assist to turnover ratio well above two i mean he, he's doing all the things you need to do to be a team leader you know for cleveland as they head, you know, into the second half of the season and whatnot. And they're there. I mean, they're playing like they can be one of these best teams in the East. I'm not going to deny that of them either. My one thing about them though, when I look at them heading into a seven game playoff series against some of these other top Eastern conference teams is, are you going to get what you get out of Donovan Mitchell, even in the slightest from these other players? Because I look at the points, you know, each player gets a game on this team. And there is a big drop off between Donovan Mitchell and then Darius Garland, who's the second uh, score, second highest scoring player on the team at 18 points a game. It's a 10 point difference. Um, I do think, and again, I don't know if, I'm not saying Darius Garland needs to, go out, needs to go out there and score 35 points in each game in the playoff series. He doesn't, but that's my one worry when I look at them is, are they going to be able to have other guys that can score? When these top East teams go, all right, we're gonna lock in on Donovan, and we're gonna force the other guys on Cleveland to try to catch up with our fast-paced, you know, game and lead we have right now. I.e., Boston is an example I'd use in that if they were to play them in a series. So that's because that's the,
0: cause that's the I, thing. Boston can throw white and others at, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at that. They can just throw. They can throw a ton of size. They can throw a ton of looks at. At Mitchell which is going to be pretty hard to stop
1: yeah and they picked up another guy in Boston too I don't think we've talked about yet uh Jaden Springer at the mm-hmm. deadline snagging him from Philly uh, uh, you know, I'm not talk- yeah I mean they have a lot of good defenders on that team that can stop guys if they need to so it's just it's something to look into and see so that's my one worry with Cleveland is that you know what they've been doing is great I just I just said they have like two losses in the calendar year 2024 so far, but heading into the playoffs, my worry is if they run into a team that's as hot as Boston or even Philly, or even let's say if Milwaukee all works out well, all, 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 all works out over there for them. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Cleveland's going to be able to have the you know, facil- facilities to keep up this high scoring pace that some of these other teams play at. But again, time will tell. I could have a completely different answer by the time we get to later in the year.
0: So you have said, and again, we prefaced it, we'll we'll wrap it around to where we were in the beginning with your thoughts on Boston. I mean, obviously their their dominance, it does not look like it. They, they can be stopped in your opinion, unless something really goes off the rails because uh, you know, they don't have a whole lot of depth, but they've got depth in the right places. They've got, They've got a a, a starting five that's really, really has gelled, really has played well. And maybe six, seven, I'd say probably seven deep. In the playoffs, you don't need 10 deep, 12 deep. You just need to go eight strong, and there you go. So I'm very concerned about the Celtics, about how good they look. It is very... Make, making me as a Lakers fan, very nervous about them, you know, about seeing how as far as they can go. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, the biggest test for them in the Eastern, uh, for, as far as the Celtics will come from the Western conference teams, because unless Milwaukee puts it together, I think it's going to be hard for anyone in the East to stop the Celtics.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, just from a feel standpoint of how that team looks, I don't, Oh, excuse me. I don't really think, you know, there's been a point this season yet where I look at them and go, oh, well, they have been, you know, they've been playing a little off lately. I, I don't think I've ever said that about Boston yet this year. They've just always seemed to, ke- to keep their high level of basketball up. And I, I remember you know,
0: one game versus the Lakers in oh, without well, LeBron or AD that they kind of looked a little shaky.
1: I remember that one too. I'll give you guys your credit there. That was a good win. Uh, and again, I heated that game definitely the heat of that game. It's, you know, LA and Boston. That's just how that game is. It goes back and forth. But, um, I, again, you know, I just feel like you look at the, every game in between that Gerald and it's WW, 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 and I'm just like, you know, this team, it just seems like if you were to meet up with them for seven games straight, they're going to win four before you can. So, I don't know. They they don't really have. I tried to come up with a weakness when you asked me as far as their center depth and how, if they have one guy out, that could be a domino effect when it comes to playing and bead. But as of right now, again, like I've said before, that they're my pick as the NBA champion uh, in this league. If you had to, if I had to give you one right now today. Fair
0: enough indeed. But it is Alfred Esmond. Please go ahead and support him today at fansided.com. So before we head on out, it is time for your magic pitch, my friend. What are you working on? What do you want the people out there to know what's going on with Alfred Esmond? And what do you think people need to go ahead and check out when it concerns your great work at Fansided?
1: Yeah, so uh, just to be frankly honest with you guys, I haven't been working on magic stuff as much recently, and that is due to uh, baseball season pretty much being here at this point with spring training starting and the college baseball season starting i'm doing some preview work and podcasting over at sec 14 uh doing sec baseball i know you know the laker crowd in here that might not be <laughs> the biggest sport you guys are into and oh no
0: otani i guess uh, especially joe soro my comrade in arms he is a huge dodger fan so of oh course, okay you know they're they're all the Dodgers fans are changing Major League Baseball and calling it this League Otani now from now on. Right, right. You
1: know. Yes. Yeah, If and if there are any Dodgers fans out there, by the way, just so you guys know, there's no excuse to lose this World Series this year at all. i will probably whatsoever.
0: say next year. If if you get a healthy <laughs> Otani next year and he brings comes back from the injury and has been able to pitch and hit, I'd probably say myself that there would be more apt for a Title run, although again, like you said, with the lineup that they have this year, they should, as long as their pitching holds out. You know, like that's almost every team in baseball, right? As long as their pitching holds out, they'll be uh, they'll be in the mix. So,
1: right? Yeah. No, so. my my mouth's definitely a little big now that Joe's not here. So I'll yeah. just I'll, I'll I'll say what I I'll say what I feel about this LA Dodger team. But of in all in all seriousness, uh, SEC fourteen. I'm doing college baseball over there with them. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff with uh, Rays Colored Glasses. It's the fan-sided blog for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, a lot of preview stuff for them. I'll have more out, obviously. Their first spring training games in five days, I believe, against the Atlanta Braves. Right around the corner. So, yeah, right there. I'll have a lot of stuff with them. I actually am doing some stuff for the Magic today. I'll have an article out there about Wendell Carter and how he's looking offensively and whether or not that needs to grow. The second half of the season, it it does. But... I talk about it all in my, you know, my next thing coming out and then NFL offseason obviously just started Super Bowl happened Chiefs won again. So my stuff for the Buffalo Bills will just be what they can do heading into the offseason as far as their cap space situation. It's not pretty. So how they're going to work their way around that. Uh, And really, that's that's about all I've got. I'm also doing some college basketball stuff on the side just uh, random little pieces about teams that are kind of up and coming teams. You don't hear about as much, for example, the Dayton flyers, Houston Cougars, I guess you hear about Houston a good bit, but they're a smaller school. Oh, Kelvin Sampson.
0: A- will tell you. Yeah. while well, he's positioned himself for every single job of the past five mm-hmm. years and five years ahead. Just letting you know, he's, he's, his agent is putting him in the mix for all these jobs. He he's doing a, all kidding aside, a damn good job. In Houston right now. So, yes. Oh,
1: God, yeah. I mean, they're, they're a nightmare to play against uh, scoring the ball. They're really going on defense. I just did something on them. I uh, don't know. I have something this week for college basketball. I'll figure out something to write about when I go back and look. But that's the other stuff I'm doing, too. So a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Sports seasons are transitioning. We're, you know, leaving. We've not even just leaving. Left football. Basketball's heating up. Baseball's about to start. Uh, just a lot of different things going on. That's what I got. And that's really it.
0: Well, before you go, um, Bloodhound mentioned uh, SEC baseball and Florida's Jack Caglione as uh, being
1: quite yeah. a good
0: player. So uh, you see him. Has he already been drafted?
1: No, he's uh, he'll be drafted this next draft. He's okay. going to be for sure a top five pick. In my okay. opinion, he should go number one, but top five, I believe, by everyone's standards at this okay. point
0: yeah bloodhound is already on that one so yeah definitely (laughs) uh look to hear more from alfred esmond at fansited alfred again i appreciate you coming back on with me today apologies for yesterday the girls decided just to do what they wanted to do and had dad tag along for the ride but uh, all good i appreciate you coming back on again as always whether you're in the chat but mainly when you're here you're welcome back anytime to go ahead and discuss nba with us yeah, I, I didn't even give you, you know, any chance to even worry about talking about the LeBron comments cuz Joe and I covered that last night, late <laughs> night last night. So yeah, we we dealt with that passive aggressiveness, all that stuff and yeah, retirement tour and the fact that he's already telling people he possibly will be out against Golden State. You know, mind you that they're playing the San Antonio Spurs the next day, but again, mm-hmm. yeah, just just yeah, just the LeBron stuff, is just, it's just a headache sometimes. But <laughs> it's just a hard. lot. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. But once again, it's Alfred Desmond. Please go ahead and support him today at Fanside. Well, Alfred, it's been great to have you here. Come back on whenever you can, right here at the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a
2: way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
0: So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. And we return to you with Gerald Glassford right here at the Lakers Fast Break. Cannot thank you enough for sticking around with us here at the Lakers Fast Break. Please like and subscribe to get the latest notifications on when we go live on the air with the latest Lakers Fast Break podcast. We'll tell you what, in part two of our conversations on the Eastern Conference, another awesome guest who has stopped by for one of our many NBA team previews is back to talk about the teams that he covers. In the Eastern Conference, plus an overall look at the Eastern Conference to see if he has the same opinions as Alfred Esmond did earlier in the show. It is, of course, Mike Anguilano. Mike does a great job with Fear the Sword and the Palace of Pistons, part of the Believe Network podcast. So go ahead and everyone... Give a big shout out to Mike Anguilano, Anguilano M22 on Twitter. Please follow him there. If you can, Mike, it's great to have you back on the show. You've been watching us from afar. It has been noticed and it has been appreciated, my friend.
2: Yes, I have been watching. I like to, I like to keep up and see what, what other, other fans think of the Eastern conference and, and, you know, deadline time is always, you know, content creation time across the NBA Everyone wants to fire off a take. Everyone wants to, you know, throw out their mock trade. So yeah, I'm, I'm always, uh, always looking forward to tuning in.
0: Absolutely. Even if it is Joe Soro yelling half the time, that's good. I'm glad to have you here, but (laughs) truly appreciate you joining us. It is of course, Mike Anguano, please. Go ahead and support him on his shows. If you want to find out more about the Cavs and the Pistons, Fear the Sword for the Cavs and Palace of Pistons for the Pistons. First thing I do want to ask you, this is, of course, uh, talking about the Eastern Conference in general. As I spoke to Alfred, of course, we've seen the domination so far in the first, I don't want to say half of the season, first 50-ish games of the season by the Boston Celtics. Are you buying in... Because you have a you cover a team in the Cavs that has a say in it, but we'll discuss them here in a few minutes, along with some of the other Eastern Conference contenders. I want to hear your thoughts on it. But are you buying? Are you all in on what the Boston Celtics are doing
2: this season? I'm more all in than I have been in the past. Um, you know, I they uh, they went out and addressed a lot of the a lot of the things that were. The, That were shortcomings for them last year um the addition of porzingis has been great we all knew that jason tatum and jalen brown were going to play exceptionally well as they usually do but you know it seems like through the addition of drew holiday and with porzingis um they have the you know added front court depth they have a guy in holiday who's one of the best defenders Uh, in the league and he doesn't have to play second banana anymore like he did in Milwaukee which we kind of saw was um, running into a wall he can play third or sometimes even fourth if Derek White or Porzingis are both playing well I think Boston's made the right moves they're clearly the best team in the league right now even though they did lose to Denver um, I would still put them as the best team in the league Um, and they are the title favorites to me still um, things get dicey in a seven game series as, you know, both you and I know seeing LeBron James stars come out when it's, when it's playoff time. And, you know, are the, are the Celtics going to have enough star power to push through a seven game series against Giannis and Dame or against the Sixers when Embiid is back um, or against those, you know, snappy Cavaliers um, who have their own high, uh, high level players in, in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Evan Nobly. But, I am believing in them them this year. I think if they don't win a championship, um, it's going to be a very interesting offseason in Boston. But as of right now, I mean, it's hard to bet against them, both both defensively and offensively. They look much more complete than they ever have in years past.
0: Let me ask you, uh, I mean, obviously injuries aside, because I discussed that with Alfred, if there was a key injury somewhere on the Boston Celtics, I mean, just like with any other team, that could derail their future do you see any points of, of contention that you might have? Let's say a Cleveland, let's say a Philadelphia, let's say a Milwaukee gets, you know, with them in a seven game series. Do you see a point of contention for them as far as possibly a weakness in their armor?
2: Yeah, their, their depth is um, certainly questionable when they traded all of those pieces to get Drew Holiday. Um, like Malcolm Brogdon, like Robert Williams III, uh, they inevitably had to give up on a little bit of depth um, to make that happen. But in the playoffs, you're not running with your normal larger rotations. You're pretty much down to, you know, seven or eight. Um, But depth could be in question. Someone gets in foul trouble if Horford gets hurt. I mean, he is older. Um, If somebody does get into foul trouble and they have to, you know, go a little bit deeper to like – I you don't know, Peyton Pritchard or Sam Hauser. Maybe um, there there are you know some more chinks in the armor, but that that might be the only way. I mean, you know, Tatum and Brown have been together a long enough time that um, they are going to have to go up and be superstars when it matters. But I think having guys like Holiday, who've you know, who has a championship, and Porzingis, who is playing well, he's another injury risk guy. You know, there's just no way around it. But um, I think they have enough of the pieces around Tatum and Brown uh, that even if they do struggle to shoot, they can still stick into games. They're still a very high defensive floor team, um, but depth would be the only thing that might might make things a little bit dicey for them. Um, the other aspect is that hey, a Giannis or a Dame, if if they're the best player out out on the floor any given night, you know it, it gives it gives them a chance to win. It gives the Bucks a chance to win, um, but I think the Celtics are, are have, have enough in their top seven that they are able to withstand, you know, the 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 onslaught. They're at least more able to withstand that onslaught than they ever have before, which was kind of the whole point.
0: Once again, I'm on with Mike Anguinano. He's covering the Eastern Conference for the Pistons and the Cavs. Please go ahead and check out the great work that he does. Part of the Believe Network for. Fear the Sword and the Palace of Pistons podcast. Want to ask you this, though, when it comes right down to it, the Celtics, uh, again, obviously have looked dominant so far in this part of the season, but your Cleveland Cavaliers, one of the two teams that you cover, has got to be a team that has been considered. In fact, Alfred mentioned it earlier two losses since the calendar switched over to 2024. They have been the best team in the nba so far this calendar year now they have all their pieces a lot healthier and in place i know that uh, mobley has not been you even you have not even gotten the best of evan mobley whether or not that fully fits with him and jared allen remains to be seen darius garland uh you know that's been touch and go but he's come back to the lineup Tell me, what are the thoughts and feelings of the fans right now as far as Cleveland's chances to go all the way to the finals this year?
2: Well, you know, we we were very high on the Cavs last year, too, and they got rolled in the first round. Um, So I think there's some cautious optimism this time around. Um, They are playing outstanding basketball. You know, they didn't make a trade at the deadline, uh, which some people were upset about, some people we're fine with. I was one of the people fine with it. Um, they have a, a very deep team. Um, they're getting contributions from so many players that were not viable off the bench last year. And like Dean Wade, um, who is one of the best wing defenders in the league this year and Sam Merrill, who, um, Donovan Mitchell gave a shout out to during the three point shootout by I having the Merrill jersey. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so they're getting contributions all over the floor. You're right. Darius has not been healthy. Mobley has not been healthy, but Craig Porter jr. Uh, has, has been, a, a just a huge success story for them solidifying uh, the backup point card role after Ricky Rubio retired and Ty Jerome has had an ankle injury all season. He hasn't even played. Um, there's some cautious optimism with the Cavs. You know, Mitchell is playing as well as he did last year, maybe not as efficient, but, Overall, he's a superstar that's gluing everybody together. Mobley's starting to take more threes and looks a lot more competent on the offensive end. Jared Allen should have been an all-star. He was snubbed over Scotty Barnes, but but Allen's been a double-double machine, and he's been playing a lot more confident, which was an issue last year when he said, hey, the lights were too bright and kind of admitted that he wasn't ready for the moment. They are deep. J.B. Bickerstaff is coaching them in a way that he just didn't last year. Last year, the offense was very, very vanilla. This year, he's you know starting to evolve the offense a little bit more. Um, he's gotten a lot out of Mitchell on the defensive end, which was a big problem last year. The Cavs are once again a top you know a top five team in the league in defense, and now they have a lot more shooting and and you know a much more capable bench. So, you know they don't have the superstar power that you know a Milwaukee or a Boston has, um, but they have um, like a camaraderie and teamwork. Uh, level that is very hard to beat. It's hard to beat again, or it's hard to go against. Um, they're firing on all cylinders right now. But, of course, we thought that last year, too, and then they faced a Knicks team that just wanted it more. So, you know, it's going to be very telling what happens when they go into the first round, whoever they're playing. Um, are, are Are they going to be up to the challenge to face, like, let's just say, the Miami Heat, who are a tough out no matter what? or if the Sixers fall far enough in the standings and all of a sudden they get Joel Embiid back. And, you know, now, now you're having to go up against him healthy with a Sixers team that prior to him being injured was very good. Um, so it'll be very telling. Or, you know, they they could end up playing the Knicks again and they could have just PTSD. So they're playing as good as anybody. I think they can make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're good enough to do that. It's just going to depend on, um, you know, are, are they going to have the tenacity to – get out of the first round and get that monkey off their back. Um, because after that, I think they can, I mean, they've they've already shown they can beat the Bucs. They beat the Bucs twice already in the last couple of weeks here. Um, haven't had as much luck with Boston, but this is a different team than it was at the beginning of the year. I'm confident in them to at least make it out of the first round. But I think they have the capability to go all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals if things fall right.
0: Let me ask you this, though, when it comes right down to it. Once again, it is Mike Anguano. Please go ahead and support him today on his great podcast, Fear of the Sword and Palace of Pistons on the Believe Podcast Network. Wanted to ask you this, though, with Boston, getting back to Boston real quick, uh, because it just hit me. Could this be a one-and-done year for Boston if they don't get it right because of the fact that the ever looming extension – for Jason Tatum is out there, uh, you know, and this team will become huge as far as paying the tax bill when they when he signs up that dotted line and that kicks in. Then you've got Jalen Brown's, then you got Porzingis, Holiday, you got the whole, you know, Derek White. That, yes, just those five alone will kill you on your tax. Do you feel that this is a now or never situation, not never, but let's say, but now or restructuring deal coming up as far as if they don't win the title now, they'll have to go ahead and seriously consider making moves, major moves this summer?
2: They're very title or bust, right? I mean that yeah. they are they're financially going to be strapped coming into the off season, and uh, you know moving Jalen Brown might be on the table. You know maybe they're not able to compete with a Drew Holiday offer from uh, another team. I think it will be championship robust for them. Um, otherwise, they they are going to have to make some moves, or they're going to have to um, weather the storm, pay the tax. I mean, I don't I don't think that that's how it's going to be. I think if they don't win the championship, they're going to have to look at different ways to modify that roster to fit without being so unwieldingly expensive that, you know, they're stars and scrubs. But they have the most pressure probably in the league. Denver has gotten the monkey off their back. Giannis does have a ring already, and him and Dame seem to be fine, you know, when there is a little bit more of a window for them. Um your Lakers are yeah, always Tyler bust when you're with LeBron, but you know, probably won't happen this year. And then, you know, the other teams out West, OKC, Minnesota, Minnesota is a sneaky. Got to figure it out quickly team. Cause Carl Anthony towns, you know, could be an off season trade guy. if Cause they're about to be in the expensive tier as well. But I think if um, they
0: keep the key for them in the playoffs is, can they keep Rudy Gobert on the floor? If they can't figure that out, Because every year Rudy Gobert is in the playoffs, he always gets played off the floor. If he can stay on the floor, they can go a long way.
2: Right. So they might be in a, you know, make a deep run or have to trade away Carl Anthony Towns. But Philadelphia, again, it seems like they're always tight or bust. But, you know, now they're getting a little bit of leeway with Embiid being out. Hopefully he comes back and is able to make an impact in the playoffs. So I, I think Boston's probably the most title or bust team in the league right now and i do think that because of their financial situation jalen brown's extension jason tatum's extension they're gonna have to make some interesting moves this offseason if they're unable to win a championship um but i do think that they're the they're the most well-equipped team to make a run to the nba finals and win a championship this year it's just a matter of if they can get over their own hump which has been um lately it's been the heat you know they got rolled uh for the most part last year you know, if they can sort of get over that Eastern Conference finals hurdle, um, then they're a very obviously a very dangerous team.
0: Once again, it is Mike Anguano. Please go ahead and support him today at the Paths of Pistons podcast, but also as well, of course, Fear the Sword is available on the Believe podcast network. wanted to ask you this when it comes to uh, you, your fan base in Cleveland. It sounds like they're cautiously optimistic because they've been through this scenario before with the same crews. So I get that. When you've got Milwaukee out there, Milwaukee just seems, and I said this with Alfred, I think in a seven-game series, if you have both Giannis and Damian Lillard both going over 30 points a game in a series, I think that's going to be hard to stop no matter how bad their defense is. Your thoughts on Milwaukee. If they can ever get anything close to resembling a competent defense, and if Middleton shows up on top of that, they could get back to some winning ways in the playoffs.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, we were talking about this in our in our Fear the Story group chat at the beginning of the year after Boston traded for Drew Holiday. Who would you rather face in the playoffs? And we all unanimously said the Bucks. You'd rather face the Bucs. The, just the defensive um, – uh you know work that the celtics do being able to switch and they have a much better wing defenders they have good guard defenders which makes makes things a lot more difficult for a very guard heavy focused offense that the Cavs have with Mitchell and with Garland I would much rather face the Bucks. Um, that being said when you know the going gets tough and you have Giannis and Lillard that's very very hard to go up against for anybody say I mean it's the same thing for the Sixers or for Boston, you know, going up against those two in a seven-game series should be should be uh, scary. I think the Bucks are a little bit um, <laughs> well. Now that they have Doc Rivers, they have gone through a lot of turmoil this year. They're a little bit weaker than I think we'd like to admit, even though that their top end is very good with Giannis and with Dame. Um, I as as a Cavs fan, i would much rather face them than Boston in a playoff series. Um, I think that they're a little bit easier to neutralize. Um, Drew was a little bit taller uh, of, of a guard, and he was a, a much better defender than Dame, obviously, and Dame is certainly a much better offensive player. Um, but for some reason, the Bucks haven't really clicked, whether it's been their defense has just not been as good, and it hasn't. It's not been top 10 this year. I think it's like more like top 22 in the league in defensive rating. It's, it's not very good. Um, but that being said, they're still towards the top of the conference in a playoff series, Dame and Giannis are going to get theirs. Um, but if I'm a Cavs fan, I, I would rather face the Bucks over Boston for sure. It's, I think the Cavs match up a lot better. They're also a very good defensive team. They're guard heavy, but you know they have a lot more capable shooters. And Um Niang off the bench, Dean Wade is a threat from deep. And Allen's playing with more confidence. And Mobley has a few more wrinkles in his game on offense. Overall, I would definitely rather face the Bucks, but um, Dame and Giannis are going to be tough to stop no matter what no matter what doc being the head coach does make me feel a little bit more at ease because he has a tendency to not win the playoff games that he needs to win it's just kind of in his dna but um hey i mean you're gonna take your chances with damon Giannis, right i mean it's it's not not a bad position to be in if you're doc rivers but um they they look a little, a little bit more vulnerable as of like i think i think they got mashed against denver they lost, uh, came against the Jazz maybe a week and a half before the All-Star just have not looked right. That doesn't mean that's going to translate over to the playoffs, though. I do want to ask, uh,
0: Alfred was very high on the Philadelphia 76ers if they get Embiid back, as far as being possibly the one dynamic force that can transcend, if he's healthy, through a seven-game series against the Boston Celtics. He thinks they're the one force that the Celtics couldn't stop. If Maxi is providing enough help offensively and could go for 35, 37 in a seven game series. And then you have Maxi coming up with 25 to 30. That could be also tough to stop your thoughts on Philadelphia 76ers. Should Joel Embiid get back to health?
2: ceiling is extremely high obviously i mean and M- bead has been putting up insane wilt chamberlain level numbers this year um he transcends uh their ability as as an offense to um basically him as the center has proven to be Extremely valuable. Maxi has taken on a James Harden esque role and has filled that well. They don't miss James Harden at all. And by the way, by doing that, they're able to set themselves up for a big offseason if they wanted to go and spend some. They have the ability to do that too. But outside of Maxi and Embiid, they're still very deep. Kelly Oubre um, has been good. He torched the Cavs the other night en route to a Sixers win against a fully healthy Cavs team. Uh, while Philly didn't have Embiid, so that's worth something as well. They have capable playoff guys, Robert Covington, Nick Batum. I mean, they've got players who can play and have played in bigger situations. But Embiid's ability to just control the flow of the game on both ends of the floor, he's able to be the best offensive player on the floor and a defensive anchor. He can do enough to pull the Sixers past Boston, and this will be the toughest test yet, as Boston's probably the best that they have been. And Embiid is playing the best that he has ever been. It'll be a very fun playoff series if they do face each other. I'm high on the Sixers as well if they get Embiid back before the playoffs. They got the depth. They have Nick Nurse, who has also been in these types of scenarios before. Um, so the sky's the limit for them if he is back and healthy. But that that is the biggest question is, is he going to come back? Is that knee not going to be too cranky? Uh, that you know forces him to play limited minutes Um, but i am high on the sixers as well i i i think that they've pivoted so well from having to trade james harden that the position they're in is is just nothing short of uh, a miracle you know it's not too often you trade a guy like james harden and you're better than you were the year prior but they've managed to do that so
0: those are probably the standout teams i think in the eastern conference but you know, the New York Knicks seem to be all over the place. Some people think they're real contenders. Some people still think they're they're a little ways away. Yeah, They're tough to figure out right now. Yes, they were riding high, nine-game winning streak recently until the Lakers snapped that. They've kind of gotten in a little bit of disarray because of their injury uh, issues that they have, and they have legitimate injury concerns at this point in time. Your thoughts, though, with Jalen Brunson carrying your team, how far can they go?
2: Um, well, the Knicks certainly think that they can go to the Eastern Conference Finals. They they wouldn't go trade for OG Obi if they didn't. They wouldn't, you know, go out and trade away um, assets to get Bogdanovich and Burks to shore up the bench if they didn't think they had a chance to make some noise. Um, and as far as the injuries go, Tom Thibodeau will run players into the ground. That's just what he does. He's done does his entire career. <laughs> That's what he does. Um, How they weather the injuries to Ananobi and Randall the next couple weeks is going to be very interesting. Jalen Brunson is awesome. Um, He has, for now, the second year in a row, just been uh, exactly what the New York Knicks needed. When they're fully healthy, the Knicks can play enough defense that they could really smother a team like a Boston. Um, Well, actually, now they have a wing defender in Ananobi who can you can let him go to work on a Jason Tatum and really muck things up. Um, they have, if they get Mitchell Robinson back, they have a competent center uh, that can really make life difficult for a Joel Embiid, bead. Um, and they have Brunson, who is the engine to the offense. Bogdanovich and Burks are have, you know, as a person who covers the Pistons, I've watched them be the best and worst players on the floor for Detroit on and off. Um, Bogdanovich is a very bad defender, which is going to drive Tom Thibodeau crazy. And Alec Burks was a chucker until about a month and a half ago when he caught fire. But those are two good guys off the bench that if you need a bucket, you know, they can space the floor. Burks can get a little bit of isolation going. Um, I think the Knicks ceiling is probably the Eastern Conference Finals. More likely they don't make it there. They lose in the second round because I for the same reasons that, you know, um, for the same reason that uh, Dame and Giannis can really muck up a playoff series. I think the Knicks can get mucked up just like they did last year against the Miami Heat, a team that's very good at it and has been good at it for a long time. Um, so I think it's Eastern Conference Finals, tops kind of like the Atlanta Hawks from a couple of years ago, where everything just kind of falls right there. You know, they get hot at the right moment, but they're definitely well equipped to make life difficult for a team like Boston, for a team like um, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and they, you know they made life difficult for the Cavs last year um, with their slew of defenders. So they're very good. I getting Ananobi for Barrett and Quickly was probably a tough pill to swallow, but I think in the end it makes them a much much more potent team when the going gets tough in a playoff series when you got to face, you know, a Jason Tatum or or a Giannis Antetokounmpo.
0: Before we get into your other team that you cover, and that's going to be a good conversation because I got a lot of things to say, and I'm sure you do as well about the Detroit Pistons. Is there any other teams that you think are going to be competitive, a little feisty come playoff time, a little... Teams, uh, you know, obviously the Miami Heat are still there, doing the same exact thing they seemingly do every year. They meander through the season. That Jimmy Butler gets healthy around the playoffs, and that gives you everything he has. Obviously, that's a big concern for the teams lurking out there at, in the Eastern Conference. Plus, also, I mentioned with Alfred, the team he covers, the Orlando Magic, with their size and their length, uh, could be an issue in the playoffs. But is there are there teams out there left? That really can make some noise in the playoffs.
2: Um, the Heat, for sure. <clears throat> I think they're a little more vulnerable than in the past. Um, I'm sure that they're not too happy that they didn't go after Dame, but Pat Riley seems to have his his uh, veil of immunity over some of these things. That you know, we went from the Heat need Dame to oh, the Heat were smart to not give up everything for Dame, but. Anyway, the Heat are one of those teams that just figures it out in the playoffs. Um, They're a team that, with Butler and their coaching, they just figure out ways to win basketball games, much like they did against Boston last year. They just kind of start to play well when things get tough. So the Heat are definitely a team to watch. Like, for example, I don't want the Cavs to play the Heat in the first round, even though the the Cavs are much better and have been playing much better all year. I don't want to play the Heat in the first round. That just seems like a meat grinder of a series that I want no – no part of um the magic i think are a couple years away still they are a team that it's been reported sort of inside a couple of espn circles and whatnot that that they're going to go after a point guard this summer you know potentially a guy like trey young and i think that that would set them up to be a lot better um but Paulo and franz are two of the best young wings in the league and wendell Carter's playing well and their their guards are going to be ultimately what holds them back or pushes them forward. Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz. I mean, those are guys that when they're playing well, it's you know life is good, but it's when they're not playing well that it's very difficult to find offense. If you're the Magic, they don't have a whole lot of three-point shooters. Um, But defensively, they're as tough as any team in the league when when they're playing at their best. But I think they're still a year or two away um, and one guard away from being a really, really potent team. But they're feisty, and they were able to rebuild faster than the Pistons despite having even more barriers in front of them. But the the Heat could make noise because that's just kind of what they do. The Magic, less so, but again, they could be really annoying to play against in a first-round series just because of that length that they have on the defensive end.
0: We'll be back with more of the Lakers' Fast Break podcast.
2: What is Planet Cool Stuff? It's your ultimate destination for insightful exploration from the realm of pop culture. Delve into the world of movies, video games, toys, cartoons, and visit with one-of-a-kind creators, discover incredible places, and see historical artifacts. Whether it's a toy room tour, or exploring the best of pop culture cinema, Planet Cool Stuff has got you covered. Planet Cool Stuff, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada.
0: Once again, I'm on with Mike Anglano. Please go ahead and support his great shows on the Believe Podcast Network, Fear the Sword, and Palace of Pistons. Speaking of the Pistons, <laughs> I've been he- I've been hearing it's been called a lot of things this year. Uh, we have someone, one of our great, uh, you know, uh, panelists on the show, El Rob, is in the lives in the Detroit area, and he's just yeah. He yeah, talked about the ease of access of ours, getting seats and the way that the it's set up as far as this season because of the turmoil that they've gone through and just the sheer lack of talent there that they've had. I called Troy Weaver, you know, and this comes from a guy who's been seeing Rob Palenka in his very mismatched up and down decision making over the course of the past few seasons. I've called Troy Weaver the worst GM in NBA and possibly all of sports. Is that a fair assessment based off of his, uh, based off of his, let's say, decision-making as of late?
2: If he would have traded for Zach Levine, I would have said absolutely. And he doesn't deserve to be a GM anymore. Um, even even without that, I think there's a good chance that he has been the worst GM in the league. Um, his decision-making has been, questionable at best, horrible.
0: Do you you think he'll be fired at the end of the season?
2: I don't, um, which is insane to say, but the Pistons actually signed him to a contract extension secretly last summer. Um, And I don't necessarily, the details of that extension haven't come out. Um, So I don't think so, but I think he could be an early season casualty if the Pistons once again, just start, horribly again um, and if he doesn't have a good off season. Um, the Pistons have just been time and time again hampered by his decision making from trading Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman essentially. Um, there were some picks thrown in there as well by the Hawks but for the most part he gave up Sadiq Bey for James Wiseman who's unplayably bad um, and probably won't be in the NBA next year. Um, his draft picks, Killian Hayes, not on a team hasn't been picked up on a team he cleared waivers and he didn't, he didn't even make it uh so you know he gave a contract to isaiah stewart because and this is from the athletic that the pistons wanted to get something out of that 2020 draft which is a terrible reason for signing a player to save face so it's been up it's it's been mostly down he's had a couple of okay decisions i mean the problem is, is that drafting kate cunningham is not much of a decision that was everybody's decision even if you weren't a GM, if you were just us talking, he about was it the cave. definitive
0: number one. Correct. Yeah. We're not going to so go I, back in hindsight and change the narrative. No, yeah.
2: yeah. So I agree. No, he was definitely the pick. There. That. That's an easy one. Um, you know the Joe Harris trade using your caps space on Joe Harris, who once again not on the team, um, was not a good choice. Monty Morris was a good choice. He turned him into Shake Milton and Troy Brown in a second rounder, of, you know, who's probably a 13 year old at this point because it's a 2029 20, pick. So he's been bad. The worst GM, I can't argue you if you say that definitively, he's been the worst. I can't argue that. There's nothing to say that he has, has not been the worst GM in the league, but I think he is going to get one more crack at it. Um, trading for Zach Levine would be a horrendous move for him, even though there was a ton of smoke about it. How he approaches this offseason is going to be huge. They're going to get another lottery pick. They're going to get another top five pick. Um, we'll have to see what he does with it. He's going to have one more shot. You know, there was a big spat between him and Tom Gorez about who to hire for head coach. Monty Williams versus Kevin Ali, who just got the head coaching job for the Brooklyn Nets. So the Pistons are going to play Brooklyn on March 7th. I think I can't wait for these stories to, you know, come out about that, but um, I think we'll get one more off season. I think he could be a very early season casualty if things go really poorly. Um, but I can't argue if you were to say he was the worst gym in the league, there's nothing to prove that he hasn't been.
0: And also you mentioned, and you touched upon it, uh, the coach, uh, Monty Williams, uh, who I had, you know, coming into his term at Phoenix, a ton of respect for, I thought he, you know, he had done a good jobs in, in several places. And then, he comes to Pistons, and I don't know what has happened. I mean, he, he. And what's the worst part is that I believe he's still the highest paid coach in the league, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I think Greg Popovich's extension now okay. makes him the highest paid coach. Okay. But there was oh, a period where there. he was the highest paid coach. He's, and he's a, two. on a, he a ten-year.
0: Okay, well, he's still the he's gotten a
2: ten-year. Is that correct? Ten, is that ten? I I don't think it's ten. I think it's like six or seven. Okay. All right. It's, it's still,
0: it's long. It's long. <laughs>
2: and they're talking about buyouts already. So it's real; it feels even longer.
0: <laughs> what has gone wrong with it? You know, as far as it's, it's not just a talent issue. It's not just a GM issue. When, when we talk about the issues, of the Lakers, I've always said, even when times were rough, you know, earlier the season, I said, it's an organizational issue. It's not just right. one area of concern, not just the players, the coach, the GM. It's, an organizational issue, so a lot. Some of the blame has to fall on Monty, you know, who's an experienced coach many times over. What has gone wrong with what he's not been able to instill in the in the Detroit Pistons?
2: Well, personnel can't be discounted. The personnel is just not good. I mean, he was really set up for failure. So there's a sizable portion of this blame that goes on Troy Weaver. Not giving him a capable shooter is a huge oversight. I mean, with Bogdanovich out to start the year, they had zero capable shooters. They had no wings. I mean, Asar Thompson is good. He's not a shooter. Alec Burks was ice cold for the first month and a half. Um, They had nobody. Cade was on an Island by himself. He wouldn't play Jaden Ivy. So that's another offensive guy that's gone. I mean, just some of it has to be given to Troy Weaver as he made some just bad front office decisions that Monty had to deal with. I mean, it's like Moneyball, you know, you just kind of deprive the, you know, the manager of any capable players. It's like when they traded Carlos Peña and forced him to play Scott Hatterberg when they, you know, that was the Billy Bean thing from Moneyball. I mean, sometimes I feel like Troy Weaver did that and kind of set Monty up for failure because Troy Weaver wanted Kevin (laughs) Ollie, and now he's just given him a bad roster to deal with. So a lot of it has to do with the GM. Monty's decision-making, though, for rotations has been very strange. Asar Thompson goes in and out of the starting lineup. Jaden Ivey goes in and out of the starting lineup. Sometimes doesn't even get playing time. And the reasons for that have been Ivy doesn't play hard enough on defense. No one's playing hard enough on defense. They're like 28th in the league in defense. So his decision-making has been very odd. Um, playing James Wiseman as much as he has has been – Odd. I know that, you know, they had Marvin Bagley. Bagley would be a DMP, and James Wiseman's playing over Marvin Bagley. Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, Just very strange rotation decisions, Um, but not playing Ivy has been the biggest what is happening moment. Um, And then Bogdanovich comes back and lo and behold, the uh, Pistons offense opens up and becomes much better just by having one shooting threat, one old. You know, Eastern European shooting threat, and all of a sudden the Pistons are significantly better looking on offense. Um, So his decision-making with his rotations has been borderline bizarre. But again, some of those things are from Troy Weaver's fault. Why did he sign Marvin Bagley to an extension that nobody else was going to offer? Why did he trade a wing shooter in Bay that the Pistons desperately needed for a backup center that the Golden State Warriors want nothing to do with anymore in James Wiseman? What do you do? You're just stuck. I, I see in the chat Killian Hayes. Monty Williams loved Killian Hayes. Why? I don't know. He played hard on defense, but, I mean, when you can't score, you have to do so much on defense to make up for that lack of offense that there's no point in having him out there. Um, there was a running gag on on a Pistons Twitter that Monty Williams really wanted Killian Hayes. Uh, to marry his daughter. He wanted him as a son-in-law. <laughs> so we we say the constantly. same thing about
0: Torian Prince here for Darvin Ham. So
2: there you go. Torian Prince is Darvin Ham's Prince. Yes. Um, and just the, just the decision-making on the rotations has been nothing short of bizarre um, other than Cade playing as much as he possibly can. And he really has to be careful to not run him into the ground either. Cause we're already hearing about his blocky you know, knee and shin acting up already. For a team that is not even going to win 14 games this year, so the decision making for Monty's been all over the place, and and it's a huge reason why there was a story in the De- in the Detroit Free Press today, an op-ed about how Monty's just killing this team and stunting the growth. Right now, it's hard to argue against that. Um, it's hard to say that he is helping these guys. So. Hopefully by giving him better players to play, you know, he's able to tighten up his rotations. He has a reputation of playing okay with young guys. The Suns, Mikhail Bridges, a young wing. He's got one of those in a Sar Thompson. Let's see what he can do. But for right now, he looks like a guy that's coaching because he's got a ton of money in his bank account and not because he wanted to coach a young bad team.
0: Before we head on out, my friend, I want to go ahead and touch on one last thing with the Detroit Pistons because Cade Cunningham you know, he was picked number one. I know that Eric says Evan Mobley over Kate Cunningham. At that point in time, everybody was choosing Kate Cunningham as their number one pick. He was the universal number one pick. There was only very small amount of people in the, as far as the draft experts out there that were leaning somewhere else. It was definitively Kate Cunningham. We have seen him play, you know, and, and I just don't see the things that I saw. That he could develop into when I was actually looking at that the hours of tape that I saw on him, and I just don't see it all being put together, maybe ever. I'm not so sure. He's still young, he's still got a ways to go. Could possibly be right now barring whoever you get in the draft going forward, that Jalen Dern could be the best player on the Detroit Pistons once all is said
2: and done. I will strongly go against that. I think okay. it's still Cade. Um, Duran is very good. His ceiling as an offensive player is looks nice. His defensive abilities, I still am questioning. He's still very young. His defensive IQ is not super great. You see him get lost a lot when he's put one-on-one with other guys, uh, which is problematic. You've seen him be a pretty good rim defender. I think that that ceiling will continue to grow, Um, but Cade is by far the best player on the roster. Um, He has not looked great, again, because the personnel around him does not accentuate his skill set at all. Um, He needs shooters around him. It'd be great to have another ball handler out there next to him so that he can play more off ball and he can be dangerous off ball as well as a cutter and as a shooter. And that's what made the Jaden Ivy just stapling them to the bench thing even weirder. Because Ivy showed last year he can play as the two guard and be a playmaker. And he can allow Cade to play off ball. It's one of the things we were very excited about coming into this year is Ivy and Cade playing together and off of each other. And for whatever reason, Monty went to Gillian Hayes, who is not good at any of those things. Um, can't play off ball because no one cares about him as a shooter. Um, that forced Cade to be the ball handler constantly. There's a reason he led the league in turnovers because he has the highest usage rate in the league and no one to give the ball to. So I think his ceiling is undoubtedly the highest. He can be the guy. I feel very strongly about that, but they have to make a concerted effort to put shooters around him. They need to make a concerted effort to get more capable wings. That's why they went and got Quentin Grimes. He's a three and D guy. He profiles as exactly what the Pistons need. Um, Asar Thompson, again, profiles exactly what the Pistons need as long as he can start to develop that corner three or at least be more open to taking it. He's in a very Isaac Okoro uh, way right now. Of He's very athletic and fast um, and a good defender, but he just doesn't have the the shot yet. Okoro is getting there, but look, it took four years. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he can certainly be the guy. Durant is good. Um, he's not untouchable. Um, but Cade, to me, still is untouchable. I think you have to build around him, and you know if Troy Weaver wants to save his job, he needs to make a concerted effort to put more shooting around Cade Cunningham and put more wings, capable wings, around him and start to build out this roster.
0: Once again, it is Mike Angolano. Please go ahead and support him today on his Believe Network podcast, The Palace of Pistons and Fear the Sword. So before we go, Mike, it is the cheap pitch time as we'd love to go ahead and have our guests do here, please go ahead and let all of our great audiences, both audio and video, know exactly what you're up to out there on the sports world, covering the Cavs and the Pistons.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, well, you said it at the top of the show. You can follow me on Twitter or X, whatever you still call it, at my last name, M22. I'm very active on there. I'd be happy to talk to you. Anybody about the NBA, that's why I have it. And I do write for Fear the Sword, uh, part of SB Nation. Um, we're gearing up to have the second half of the season come together. The Cavs play the magic. And, uh, you know, you'll see plenty of my game previews and stock up, stop, stock down over there at Fear the Sword. And then for Palace of Pistons, I am the host of the Palace of Pistons podcast. And that's part of the Believe Network. We recently moved over to a Substack. We would certainly appreciate uh, as many people subscribing to that as possible moved away from our website, moved over to Substack. We feel that's the best way to directly reach people. Um, so certainly uh, check out Pal of Pistons on Twitter and you'll be able to uh, subscribe to our Substack and get all that content directly to you. We have a, a, a lot of fun on the Pals Pistons podcast. We have a good group of guys that, we were the first ones to say a year and a half ago that Troy Weaver doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And we were mocked furiously on YouTube for that. And turns out we were onto something. Turns out we were kind of right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay we're the first to say talk about about rob palenka and darvin ham and we've got roasted and then again we've uh we've heard it but then once the lakers do bad suddenly we are called geniuses and things of that nature <laughs> so it's yeah it's 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 amazing how this. i will ask you about killian hayes real quick because you know i sure i i really feel bad for the kid because you know so much was put upon him you know um uh what's his name uh from the athletic uh, picked him. Number one, kind of got a lot of, uh, uh, scout. Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, that's right. From Kevin. Ringer, O'Connor. Yes. Yeah. For the ringer. You're right. The ringer. Um, he picked him number one, you know, put a lot of heat on that kid right away. Uh, he never, it never materialized. And obviously the result was him getting released, uh, by Troy Weaver. Do you ever see a future for that kid? Uh, cause I, I, I again, I would like to root for him. I, I, I liken it to a guy that's now up for the hall of fame in Chauncey Billups, who was also a high draft pick who was let go at an early stage and found his rhythms somewhere else.
2: I feel bad for Killian as well. You know, he was obviously highly touted by Kevin O'Connor and, you know, many others as well. Wasn't just Kevin O'Connor saying he was the best prospect. Um, I think, there is a, f- a future for Killian Hayes. I don't know if it's in the NBA or not. Um, <laughs> I think uh, some team will take a chance on him, some team like the Memphis Grizzlies, who are so injured that they have to find somebody to play. Um, he could do okay there. I think the, the San Antonio Spurs should be looking to pair him with fellow Frenchman Victor Wembanyama, and that's another guy that um, the, you know he would be able to play Many minutes for San Antonio, a very low-risk environment. But, I mean, I've seen people say the Cavs should sign him as their backup point guard, or that the Lakers should sign him. Killian Hayes cannot go into high-leverage situations. He didn't do well in low-leverage situations. He doesn't have that killer drive right now. Certainly not on offense. You can't trust him to do anything on offense. You need to really rework him as a player. Defensively, I think... He's got something there. He's got some juice to him. His playmaking is its questionable. I mean, he doesn't necessarily make smart passes. I've watched two Pistons games live, both when they were facing the Cavs, and both of them were some of the worst basketball games I've ever watched him play. I think he needs another low-level, low low-risk low environment like a Memphis where they're not playing for anything, or San Antonio where they're not playing for anything just to sort of reset himself. Um the Spurs, I think, would be a great, a, a, a great spot with Victor. Um, the Grizzlies would give him plenty of playing time, um, but I think there's something for him in this league. I just the situation he came into with Detroit was not a good one. Again, it was in flux. It was in between um, ten years. You know, they were getting rid of Blake Griffin and trying to rebuild. Um, they immediately went out and took another point guard the next year in Cage. So they already had kind of some iffy thoughts about him. He came in during COVID, which was a very difficult time. You know, it was hard to evaluate prospects during COVID for, for everybody. So he came into a bad situation. I hope that he makes it in this league. Um, I just don't necessarily know if he, if he will, if he doesn't have the confidence to even just take a layup because there were nights where he would pass up open shots or just look totally, totally clueless out there on the offensive end that you really hope that he could figure it out. But, gonna have to be in the very in a very particular situation
0: we've had a player like that and jared vanderbilt who does so much in the defensive end but yet at times uh he has appeared uh petrified of shooting the basketball either close or from long distance and uh you know just before he got injured he finally found a niche just drive to the basket just run to the basket we'll throw you the ball deep in there just go to the basket stay near the basket offensive rebounds and also be open you know cut to the basket just be open for some lobs, and there you go that's they finally found a niche for him and then of course he got injured so hopefully when he comes back they can finally regain that spot for jared vanderbilt again but i liken it to killian hayes and that killian hayes i have seen play good defense on on at an nba level At as far as what i've seen and that to me is a skill and a talent that's hard to replicate but you're right if he's so much of a minus on the offensive end like jared vanderbilt was when he came back earlier this year from his injuries he was absolutely terrible on offense and absolutely a minus so it's a tough call whether you take a chance on that kid because he has to become at least somewhat efficient, just not even league average, just get to below average on offense. Yeah. Below average on offense, just enough to where your defense stands out and you can, a team can utilize that. And if you can, he's got good size. I think he does Mm -hmm. have some good passing skills. But again, it all depends on, like you said, what he can do on the offensive end. If he can never figure that out, he'll go down as one of the biggest draft busts ever.
2: Yep, agreed.
0: Well, Mike, it's great to have you here as always. You pop in from time to time in the chat. I've seen you on Twitter and absolutely cannot thank you enough for following us. Uh, Again, please come back anytime you want to go ahead and chat with us. But any last thoughts, my friend, before we head on out?
2: I'm just um, I'm just happy that there was no Donovan Mitchell to the Lakers questions in the chat.
0: Uh, you know what? That's, <laughs> we're not going to count our horses on that because the thing is, so many teams, you know, Rob Polinka said it best. He said, oh, yeah, we didn't make any trades because we really didn't have enough assets and you really couldn't make a really good deal. We're going to get extra picks in the uh, summer. Everything's going to be, you know, just fancy roses and la la, la. Well, again... You're getting extra picks, but so is Golden State, so is Philadelphia, so is New York, so is you know, a list goes. On. Oklahoma has like five hundred picks. Indiana, you know, just <laughs> the list goes on. New Orleans, yeah, I could name off seven or eight teams that are going to have substantial resources, most of which will have more than the Lakers to offer if there's a big name that comes out. You know, it all depends on if that player wants to go to the Lakers, and you know the drama that plays out at their end. But yeah, if Donovan Mitchell is the case, whether he wants to go to New York, whether he stays with Cleveland, whether he goes to the Lake, you know, I, I don't even want to start that yet. I know it's, we've touched on it here in the past couple of days on the show, but again, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, let's all that let's, let's let the season play out before we really start getting into that, Mike.
2: Yeah, there's a, the whole second half of the season to go. And if the Cavs don't make it out of the first round, I, I don't want to think about the next couple of days after that. Let's just hope that they get out of the first round, because then then those cries are going to be even louder. And I'm Kurt not of, ready for that mentally.
0: Kurt Affair, <laughs> stop trying to start trouble there. Start, try-
2: <laughs>
0: start trying to start trouble.
2: But uh, I truly appreciate
0: you, Kurt. Bloodhound. everybody that was part of the chat, Best Lakers chat with us out there. And of course, especially to you, Mike, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us previewing the Eastern Conference for the rest of the way. Hopefully you could stop back in this season, at least before the playoffs or give us a playoff preview. Hopefully you and Alfred can go ahead and do that. Cause I'd love to have you both back on the air to do just that. Sure. Of
2: course. Anytime.
0: All right. Always great to have you here and always great to have you a part of the Lakers fast break podcast.